Hi, welcome to The Heavy with Andrew and Don, where we cover a wide range of rock and metal topics for the casual listener. I'm your host, Don Sutherland, and with me as always is my brother and metalhead, Andrew Sutherland. What's up, dirtbags? All right, we don't have any mail this week, but Andrew uh, is getting very lonely and is desperate to start correspondence. So email us at theheavypod at gmail.com if you have any comments, concerns, constructive compliments, as they're called. Uh, Andrew, what are we talking about today? Today we're going to be talking about CBGBs and the birth of punk rock in 1970s New York City. Well, all right. Let's get into it. I think we opened those cans at the exact same time, so it might sound like one single can opening again. Is that what happened? I didn't hear yours at all. <laughs> I only heard yeah, mine. I opened it at the exact same time. <laughs> just, we're just in sync, buddy. That's, yeah, that's yeah, finally, we've gotten to our groove. Exactly. We've got it going. By, by episode <laughs> eight. All right. I've already forgotten like what they're called. The heebie-jeebies? Oh, CBGBs. It oh, was a bar CBGBs. in New York. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you've probably seen the shirts around, right? It's kind of a, more of a brand now than anything. The bar doesn't exist anymore. Right. But uh, I'm going to probably jump around a little bit, little bit here. The... I don't know how organized this will seem, but uh, I want to do like a, a history of the of the bar itself, okay. and then uh, a little blurb on several different bands that were really important to that scene, and then we'll get to our our playlist. So, cool. So to to start off, like a little history about CBGBs, and and even like the the punk scene in New York City and and how it started before that. So the New York punk scene actually happened just right before the British punk scene. So a lot of people are more familiar with the stuff coming out of England. From yeah, the like 70s, the Clash. Yeah, yeah, the, the Clash, the Sex Pistols, stuff like that. But yep. the uh, the New York scene actually started like just before. It was actually in the same year, but it was right before that. Okay. So the state of New York City, not like the the state state, but like the uh, condition it was in, in the 1970s, uh, had a lot to do with the emergence of punk. So the city was like there was a garbage strike. It was garbage everywhere. There was gangs everywhere. Graffiti, drugs. It was, it was pretty rough, and there was a lot of vacant buildings. And one of the things that that led to was that rent was fairly cheap and easily affordable for a lot of the young people at the time. Interesting. A very big change from today's New York. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, a lot of it's been very like gentrified since then. Yeah. So the 70s was a much different picture. I blame um, Friends the show. Yeah, Friends really? definitely changed New York. Friends in their $6 million apartment on like, <laughs> yeah. minimum wage. <laughs> <laughs> these sparsely um, employed people <laughs> yeah so uh gonna steal some quotes from some people that are much more educated than i am but uh <laughs> so there's a this there's a subculture of young people this new subculture that was forming and uh punk was meant to be this antithesis to the drawn out pretentious showy rock of the 70s even though like personally don't get me wrong i love a lot of that stuff but i'm just uh going with the theme here but to, to quote a guy uh, named Stephen Taylor from his book, False Prophet, Field Notes from the Punk Underground, and he did this on the New York and London music scenes, precluding punk. At their inception, these movements shared a minimalist aesthetic and a populist dance that opposed the exclusivity, elitist virtuosity, performer audience distancing, and gigantism in terms of economics and production aesthetics of progressive rock. Now, so, for talking about a genre that's like all about being against being pretentious that's like ironic, the most pre- that's the most pretentious so, way that you can put that you know i, I can't i i had i had so much trouble pronouncing all those words and i hope i did it right <laughs> but it's just it sounds like trying to reach a word count in a an essay in school yeah that's a really really verbose description <laughs> of something that's supposed to be minimalist right like it's pretty funny 
yeah, just just kind of ironic, but it was just an interesting look at it, you know, and yeah. a take on it. And a couple of quotes from actual musicians that were in the scene. So one from, it's it's from a book called New York Rock. It's an oral history by a guy named Stephen Bluth. One of those by Joy Ramone, obviously singer oh, from the yeah. Ramones. Right. Uh, we were a reaction to all the pretentiousness and cliches and all the bullshit. It was the beginning of disco, the beginning of corporate rock, like Journey, Foreigner, all that shit. You know, five mm. or six tracks on an album, 45-minute guitar solos or drum solos. All the mega bands were content writing the worst shit possible and selling billions of records, <laughs> and they didn't have to get off their asses and do anything. We cut that shit out. <laughs> we made it fresh again like it originally was. So that that's kind of shows you their, nice. their mindset. Yeah. And the Ramones were really, I would say, probably the centerpiece of this whole scene, the CBGB right. scene, because... They weren't necessarily the, commercially the biggest band that came out of this, but they were probably the biggest actual punk band that came out of this. Mm-hmm. Some, and some very, of very New York too. Like that's one thing I know about the oh, Ramones. Sure. It's like very, very much New York. Yeah, when you think of the Ramones, you, you think of the New York punk scene, right? Right. Uh, another quote was from uh, a guy named Handsome Dick Manitoba. He was a member of <laughs> okay. the Dictators. He was, a, he was a singer for the Dictators for uh, some of their stuff. But uh, is it was that his start legal the, name? It, it is not. His real name is handsome. Richard something. <laughs> but uh, you're saying handsome Manitoba is not his given name. Handsome Dick Manitoba is not his given name. No, that, <laughs> All right. Like I said, his his actual given name is Richard, but his last name isn't Manitoba. Okay. Oh, I guess it is now. Uh, it was the start of the megastar musician in rock. Huge stages with guitar heroes. Alvin Lee and Ten Years After or Prog Rock. We hated that stuff. We hated those bands that were overly musical. So it's another <laughs> similar point of view. Over, right? Overly <laughs> musical. <laughs> yeah, it tells you something. Right? All right, so back to our, our subject here. Mm-hmm. The, the bar CBGB. It opened in 1973, opened by a guy named uh, Hilly Crystal. Okay. The, the name CBGB stands for, it actually stands for Country Bluegrass Blues, which Crystal oh, originally okay. meant to showcase that kind of music. Although now the name is historically synonymous with punk and hardcore music. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, originally oh. he meant... He, because I guess it wasn't his favorite type of music, but he thought that it was popular at the time, so he thought that would be a good type of music to play at his bar. Obviously, that's not what happened. Is it was ended up being <laughs> local young people that played rock music would end up being punk music, and uh, so it definitely wasn't a country bluegrass. It was not, bar. yeah. <laughs> but the uh, he added on that other acronym, the O M F U G. It stands for Other Music for Uplifting Gourmandizers, <laughs> which. Uh. Uh, Okay. A gourmandizer is like a voracious eater, and then Hilly said in this context, he meant a voracious eater of music. So interesting. That, okay, so that, he just that, leaned into it. Okay. Yeah, he was just trying to. Once they started having all these other bands that weren't of the music type that he originally named it for, he had to he added that on just to kind of fit it all in, right? Right. Cool. So what made that bar so unique, and what, what created such a, a great culture of of artists there, it was a couple of things. Like Hilly would only let them play original songs. So, in Hilly's words, he said, My determination to book only musicians who played their own music instead of copying others was indomitable. Originality to me was prime. Technique took second place. Although, uh, <laughs> an interview that I read with Hilly's son Dana, he revealed that the main reason that rule came in was because Hilly didn't have any money to pay royalty fees for cover songs. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, he, he couldn't afford it, but he's just like, no, nah, that's just the vibe of the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, I, uh, I, I respect it. I respect the reasoning. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty funny. And I've heard that a couple of times where it seemed like there was this great idea, like only original music would end up being <laughs> yeah. just too cheap to pay the royalty fees. Hey, I guess some good ideas came out of that. Like some good things were like, you just well, have I mean, to it, do it yourself. <laughs> it created this like unique culture at the time that, that all these great original bands came from, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, his other rules, those are his two rules, only original songs. And his other rules that all the bands have to carry their own equipment. And apparently they had to pretty much hook everything up themselves as well, which I'm sure I, didn't I, I turn assume out well. also just another thing where like he just can't afford a sound guy. <laughs> so it's like yeah. they just have to do it themselves. So I, I was reading a story from the, uh, the Rock History Reader where there's a photographer named Lee Childers. Lee with three E's, by the way. Oh, he uh, <laughs> he re- he recounts the first time I went to CBGB's was with Wayne County. Wayne County was a a singer in one of the bands there. Okay. And uh, there were six people in the audience. We ate the chili, which le- years later Baby Buell was horrified to learn. She said, "You ate the chili." Div told me the Dead Boys used to go back in the kitchen and jerk off in it. I said oh, to no. her, <laughs> "I said to her, so what? I've had worse in my mouth." <laughs> <That's> oh. <pretty> <laughs> <laughs> The funny thing is, though, like if you watch the movie CBGB, they uh, they they had a similar scene in that movie, but instead of uh, that guy, it was actually Hilly's mom. <laughs> they had so there's like uh, Hilly's mom's at the bar eating the chili, and Joy Ramone comes up to her and tells her that, and she uses that line. <laughs> oh, no, either either way, it's just like it's pretty gross. Eh? It's just it's just nasty. <laughs> oh man, the uh, the bathroom was notoriously filthy and absolutely covered in graffiti. And right. they created a replica of it. It was uh, it's at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. But uh, honestly, unless it's covered in shit, piss, puke, broken beer bottles, and has steps <laughs> leading up to the wide open toilet, it doesn't do it justice. Because I saw pictures of the original bathroom, and it's freaking disgusting. <laughs> but in that movie, if you watch the movie, they yeah. they do a pretty good job replicating how disgusting that bathroom was. Right. Okay. So now I'm going to start. I'm just going to go through uh, a bunch of the bands that I want to talk about, like the, some of the more important bands from the scene. We'll start sort of chronologically. So I, I want to talk about the New York Dolls first because they were they were a band that actually never played at CBGB's until 2006, which was the year that they had their final show. Oh, so they were they were a big influence on a lot of the other bands around there, but they never actually played at the bar. But uh, New York Dolls, if you haven't heard of them, they, they they basically started the trend of like dressing up like women, the glam rock look. Right. Definitely more towards the 80s hair metal scene. Mm-hmm. Like the the influence they would have had, but musically, uh, they're they're they have like a really stripped down garage rock and roll sound. Yeah, to the music, like short. I imagine, simple I imagine that, that that kind of uh, dressing because in the '80s it would have been a little more mainstream. That must have been more rebellious, I guess. Yeah, I, th- I think. I mean, they they probably. I don't think they were able to book a lot of big venues, but uh, they they definitely had at least musically had a big influence on that scene. Okay. And so this is like a couple of years before CBGB's and, and the punk scene. All right. So for, yeah, going on from the New York Dolls. So they're the only band that I'm going to mention that wasn't a band that actually played at CBGB's back in the heyday there in the 70s. The first band I'm going to mention is a band called Television. I'm not sure if you heard of them. So I, I have not. Television was one of the first bands that played regularly at CBGB's. And they aren't really necessarily what I would call a punk band. To be honest, they'd probably be more along the lines of what you listen to more, like the indie rock sort of vein yeah. or like alternative rock. Mm-hmm. But uh, they were they were right around that scene. And uh, like I said, they were one of the first bands that played there regularly. Their music was a lot cleaner and more technically sound compared to a lot of those other bands, the the more punk bands. Right. But uh, like I said, I could hear a lot of their influence on a lot of modern day alternative and indie stuff. 
television's manager is a guy named Terry Oreck, and he convinced Tilly Crystal to give the band a regular gig there. And in the movie, uh, Oreck was played by Johnny Galecki from uh, Big Bang Theory. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, do you think that's good casting, in your opinion? I, uh, I really don't know because I never met the original guy, but, I mean, he fit the role pretty well in the movie, I think. Okay. Yeah. Actually, to be honest, like that movie, like I said, it's not necessarily 100% historically accurate, but it's yeah. pretty entertaining, and there's actually a lot of actors you'll see in it that are fairly well known like there's actually quite a few almost a-list actors in it yeah like so. I, it popped up when i was looking up the the bar and i see rupert grint and alan rickman so you got harry potter yeah. people in there already well alan rickman alan rickman's sold. uh plays hilly crystal he's like the main character of the movie oh okay huh. uh but yeah rupert grint i'll i'll bring him up in a bit i'll let you know what character he played in that okay cool uh so the next band we'll go to is uh the ramones so the, the Ramones and the, and the bar are pretty synonymous with each other. The Ramones started out there. Uh, you know, they had those those uniforms with the ripped blue jeans and the worn-out leather jackets. And they're like they're stripped-down, minimalist guitar rock. And they had this uh, do-it-yourself attitude, which was such a far cry from, like I was talking about before, that pretentious, showy stadium rock at the time. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the exact thing that's being rebelled against. Yeah. Yeah. So they played their first show there on August 16th, 1974. And they actually played there 74 times by the end of that year. So they played there wow. a lot. But okay. this being said, their sets were like 15, 20 minutes long. <laughs> so, oh, so they're only playing like four songs. It's the Ramones, man. They're playing like no. 10 songs. Just a good point. Yeah, I guess <laughs> their when you songs, songs are all songs like a are... minute and a half, two minutes long. <laughs> <You know. laughs> I'm talking like a full set of songs. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a whole album, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, their, sh- their songs were short and simple. Like no, so- no guitar solos purposely because of the way they felt about you know the the state of rock right and uh just another a little thing that i read the the drummer from the talking heads who were another band that we'll talk about that was in that scene a guy named chris france he remembers johnny ramone being mean and dictatorial like (laughs) and he uh recalls the ramones used to stop in the middle of playing and just start fighting that (laughs) makes sense actually from from what i've i've read about the ramones it's like it must have been it must have been johnny i knew one of them was the hard ass like he was the leader of the band oh there's one story i, I didn't write down all the stories that i read because it's just too much but one of the stories they're talking about is they they were at like stonehenge or something like that and the guys wanted to go out and check it out and johnny like wouldn't let them go and i think they ended up going anyway but he was just like on the bus and be like no like we don't we're not doing this or whatever and he was like, trying to tell them they couldn't go. <laughs> yeah. so, so the next group we're going to go to uh a group called johnny thunders and the heartbreakers the johnny thunders was the guitarist from the new york dolls so after he left the new york dolls he he formed the uh, the Heartbreakers with uh, drummer Jerry Nolan, who was also from the New York Dolls, and uh, Richard Hell, who had been with Television. So, like I said, these right. guys, a lot of them cross over and to different bands. There, a lot of them come in and out of these these stories here. Right. the The band sounds had roots in rhythm and blues, but the energy and the loudness of punk music. So they they only recorded one studio album. It was called LAMF, which is I guess New York slang for like a motherfucker. Okay. So pretty punk, pretty punk rock, I think. Yeah. But uh, I guess when they recorded, they had a lot of trouble recording that album. And although the band had a really great live sound and they were supposed to be really good, they just had a lot of trouble getting that sound to replicate in the studio. Mm. And a lot of it had to do with just the recording mixes. And then the band members all had bad drug problems and they just had a lot of trouble like getting it done. So that Richard Hell guy, he would leave Johnny Thunders and Heartbreakers and he would form a band called the Voidoids, Richard Hell and the Voidoids. 
and hell's biggest contribution to early punk or one of his biggest contributions besides music was his style so he was the first one of the first guys to start with the spiky hair and the ragged clothing so okay so this is this is like mid 70s that he starts out yeah this would be i guess 1975 1976 when he was in that scene right like mid 70s so because what what happened was uh uh, Malcolm McLaren actually was managing the New York Dolls at the time. Uh, he he saw, I guess, Hell, Hell went out one night and he had like a fight with a girlfriend or something and his clothes were all ripped up and he had pinned them all together with a bunch of safety pins. And so Malcolm McLaren, <laughs> Ma- Malcolm McLaren uh, saw him and he like took this look back to England and he used it to create style for like when he created the Sex Pistols and stuff over there. I, I don't know what I expected. <laughs> it just seems it seems so silly. It's like this it, guy's in just a terrible, terrible place. It's like ah, there's something there. <laughs> well, though, but the thing the thing about Hell though is, it actually his style was really contrived, and that's kind of disappointing to me. Because mm-hmm. even in uh, one of his interviews, he he said he arrived at the haircut by analysis. I'm like that sounds so oh. stupid. Like you you expect it to be something that just came out of like came out by accident or like by 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 chance you know but his i mean although the thing with the safety pins happened to be maybe by chance a lot of his style with the the hair spike and the the clothing and stuff a lot of it he did he actually uh cultivated that look so it's kind of a little disappointing to be honest but it's still kind of neat just to know where some of that comes from yeah yeah it's sad that kind of sad that he like really worked at it just because of the world that it's in, like you expect, it's like that's just it just came out naturally. I I would be even more disappointed to find out a similar thing about uh, you know how Kurt Cobain has like a really specific look, like in MTV Live, he's got like the greasy hair, sweater. he's got the, the sweater, old yeah. old sweater and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if I find out that he spent like hours working on that look, I'd be even more disappointed. Yeah, true enough. I may just not read about that because I would rather just not know. <laughs> you don't, you don't <laughs> want to find out. It would also surprise me more just based on who he is. But yeah. um, So we're going to move on to the next the next artist we're going to talk about, a lady named Patti Smith. And sometimes she's known as the godmother of punk or the punk poet laureate, a couple of nicknames that she had. <laughs> so she was a multifaceted artist. She actually did, like, actually created art and oh. uh, wrote a lot of poetry. And after she ended up combining her poetry with music in the early 70s, she started making, like, doing songs or whatever and performing. And she formed the Patti Smith Group. And they ended up performing regularly at CBGBs also in the early days. And so a, a quote from her, she's uh, fairly well-spoken. Like, she, they said she was a poet and stuff. And Yeah. But uh, a quote from her is, The real thing was to keep rock and roll in the hands of the people. Keep it as a grassroots and cultural voice, not something that was big and glamorous or materialistic. The real heart of rock and roll is its revolutionary cultural voice. So that's another idea of where they were at, their mindset, what they were rebelling against, you know? Yeah, see, it's funny because that one's, like, well-spoken, but it's not nearly as pretentious as some of the stuff, like, the journalists are saying what you yeah. talked about earlier. Well, I mean, she's she's right in the scene. She's she's yeah. a, a real person, not not some academic who's writing yeah, about it, something from it, a distance. It's not, like, right? outside analysis. She actually understands exactly what it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she uh, she actually performed the final set at CBGB's final show in 2006 when they mm-hmm. shut her down. That seems fitting. Yeah. Yeah. So the uh, next group will move on to the Talking Heads, who you've obviously heard of because you guys played their song on oh. your radio station. Yeah, and... yeah, very very familiar with mm-hmm. the Talking Heads. So although not known as a punk band, they're more art rock, I guess, or new wave. 
They started out as a trio opening for the Ramones at CBGB's and, and also television in 1975. And uh, David Byrne, the, the lead singer, he actually yep. played an acoustic guitar in that set. <laughs> interesting. That is, is, yeah, that, that is a very interesting start for that band. Yeah, you can, you can find videos and, and versions of that song where he does it with the acoustic guitar. It's, it's kind of neat. But, um, they were in the, but they were right in the middle of that scene, even though they weren't necessarily a punk band before yeah. they uh, before they hit it big commercially. So, like I said, I'm not not going to go too much on about them. They're they're pretty well known, Talking Heads. But it's just kind of cool that they came out of there. And uh, yeah. another band in that vein, uh, another commercially successful band that's not necessarily a punk band was uh, Blondie. Blondie was in that scene in the early days as well. Oh. So even though also not another necessarily a punk band, but they came out of there and they played some of the earliest shows there in 1975. Uh, Debbie Harry recalls it was it was hard to concentrate at CBGB's because it smelled so bad. Hilly Crystal, the owner, kept dogs in the back and they used to throw up and shit indiscriminately. Oh the kitchen God. was covered with gre- <laughs> the kitchen was covered with grease, rats, flies, and maggots and shit too. And I would not get food. <laughs> I'm surprised they even had a kitchen. Yeah, there's a pretty funny oh quotes of people talking about like how the they had food there and then they like food's a pretty broad term. <laughs> like like some, <laughs> some of the ways they describe it, like food's being generous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, last couple of groups here. Uh, one of my personal favorite bands that came out of the scene. It's a band called the Dictators. Right. So to work backwards as to why I like the Dictators a lot is because I'm a huge Manowar fan. So Manowar was another band that came out in New York in the '80s. But uh, Ross the Boss was the founding guitarist of Manowar, and before that, he was the founding guitarist for the Dictators. Later on in the 80s, he would show a lot more of that, that skill with his guitar. Different type of music with like power metal or whatever. Yeah, but. yeah it'd be a, like in that punk scene, be a little more yeah. raw. Yeah, but you can still hear their, their sound is, is pretty clean. Like you can still hear his guitar come out and his solos are pretty pretty tight. Mm-hmm. Just the, That's the band that Handsome Dick Manitoba is from, your, uh, your buddy there. Ah, <laughs> my man. So the, the description that I got for Handsome Dick Manitoba, this is from... Uh, Wikipedia, so I don't know. I couldn't find the, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't find the the resource for that, but with a reference. But uh, they call him a roadie slash occasional vocalist, and in quotation marks, secret weapon. <laughs> yeah. So the last band we'll talk about it's a group called the Dead Boys. Okay. Uh, they originally from Cleveland, but they were convinced to move to New York City by Joey Ramone. So this is one of the bands that they're really a true punk band that came out of this scene. They developed a reputation for being wild and violent and having pretty crazy live shows. So, like the lead singer, a guy named Stiv uh, Stiv Batters, was known to slash his stomach with his mic stand on stage. Oh my god! And yeah, okay. they were briefly managed by Hilly Crystal himself, actually, which they they go through in the movie him trying to manage them. And uh, I imagine it didn't end well, did it? <laughs> well, they they were pretty self destructive. Yeah. Uh, but they in the movie, the guitarist, the guy named Cheetah Chrome. He's uh, played by Rupert Grint. Ron another Weasley. great, yeah. another great A, great A name. Oh, that's Rupert Grint. Yeah. He's Cheetah Chrome. He's Cheetah Chrome, yeah. Which is perfect because they're both gingers, so it works out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll just um, go through a couple little stories here, and then we'll get to the workout playlist. Okay, sounds so, good. Uh, when Dead Boys drummer Johnny Blitz was stabbed 17 times in the chest in 1978, the uh, 17. The, <laughs> yeah, 17 times, man. They show that in the movie. Tell me when he hits 20. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a what a pussy. What a, yeah. <laughs> the uh, he didn't die though. But the uh, the CBGB wow. community they held a benefit to raise money for him for his medical bills, 
And uh, one of the drummers that stepped in to play drums for the Dead Boy set was John Belushi. That's kind of cool. Really? Oh. Yeah. Huh. Uh, Bruce Springsteen was uh, actually a he, he is, I guess, a big Dictators fan. And oh. the first song, it's actually the song that's in the workout playlist, but the song called Faster and Louder. There's a, a count at the start of the song, and, and Bruce Springsteen actually does that count. That's really cool. Yeah. And another time with Bruce Springsteen is he also he wrote the song Because the Night, which was. If you heard it, you'd know what song it is. It's Patti Smith's biggest hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not going to be on the Workout playlist, but it's it's probably the only song of hers that I'd heard before I uh, yeah. started getting into this. And he actually performed it with her at CBGB's in 1977. So that's that's really cool. cool. I didn't expect uh, Bruce Springsteen to be in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, uh, well, he's from New Jersey or something, right? He's from that area. Hmm. So, uh, the police actually played their first two North American shows at CBGB's in 1978. So, uh, that's, Wouldn't that's they have been too? Fact. I don't really know a lot of history about the police, but uh, 1978. I feel like they would have been too big to play a venue like that at that point. I think they were probably big over in England, maybe, but they were uh, probably just I like I, I can all pretty much guarantee that they played their first two shows there and never went back. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> but I can't see Sting being like, "Yes, this place is great." <laughs> But this is probably right, right at the the start of their them kind of blowing up, right? Yeah, yeah, and ch- it, trying to trying to break into the North American market. Yeah, exactly. It, it sounds like uh, at least one of those shows was to an almost empty room as well, which is crazy. Wow. Me. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I just also, looked it up, and and uh, their first album was 1978, so that would have okay. been <laughs> just as they're trying to trying to break yeah. in. They probably blew up like right after that. But, yeah, like that first album's yeah. platinum all over the place. So yeah. And also the uh, the Misfits would play their first couple shows at CBGBs in 1977 as well. So, See, that makes sense. That one yeah. makes sense. Uh, just a few other bands I'd like to mention and musicians that played at CBGB in the early days that we didn't really talk about in depth. Uh, it's a group called the Miamis, uh, the Stilettos, uh, a group called Mink Deville, a punk band called the Cramps, uh, Wayne County and the Electric Chairs, uh, the Shirts, and also the B-52s. All oh, wow. came out of that scene, yeah. So cool. they're just some of those bands are not just like I said, other bands that aren't necessarily punk or bands that aren't as well known. But uh, they all yeah, it, it was there. a jumping off point for a lot of a lot of groups, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of those bands like Blondie got huge, right? Blondie was yeah. one of the biggest bands in the early '80s there for a while, and uh, Talking Heads as well were were huge. And I mean, the Ramones like in their B- own right were huge for punk B-52s, band. B fifty twos, and you got the Police in there. It's crazy. Yeah, a lot of I'm just name dropping left and right, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so ready to get into the uh, workout playlist? Uh, yeah, let's get into it. I ain't got time to bleed. Into the chopper! Let's put a smile on that face. I took the wrong week to quit drinking. The, uh, the first song we're going to go with is it's called Personality Crisis by the New York Dolls. Okay. So it's uh, stylistically, like I was saying before, they were influential with like the 80s hair metal scene, but musically, their music was really close to this uh, where punk rock would come from. Though there was raw, loose, like garage rock style. Yeah, definitely got some uh, Rolling Stones influences there. So Personality Crisis is the first song on their first album, which I find is probably the perfect intro song to this playlist because this is probably the, the earliest song chronologically. Yeah, yeah, one of like the the pioneers of that movement. And they have two guitars and a piano, and they're just like chaotic, but it's pretty awesome. Cool. All right, yeah, let's check this out. Personality Crisis, New York Dolls. And you're up in a ballerina on a spring afternoon. Chains on into the wolf man. 
funny because they have they have like the bluesy piano and guitar, and then he's just screaming the lyrics at you. Yeah, it's pretty wild, eh? I like it. I like it a lot. You just imagine them all dressed like chicks, just going crazy, man. Like it's... I don't have to imagine it because it's the album cover. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> right there. Honestly, it sounds like a show that I would freaking really enjoy. Oh, it looks, <laughs> sounds awesome. Yeah. All right, ready for the next one? Yeah. Okay, we're gonna move on to one of the the less punk bands of the groups of the group here, uh, Television. Okay. But I'm gonna go with their most punk song that I could find. It's a okay. song called Double Exposure, and you'll have to go on YouTube because like the only version I could find was a live version on YouTube. Okay. But uh, I, it's like I said, it's one of the bands that wouldn't classify as punk. But Double Exposure was a song they played right in the early days, and Richard Hell was still in the band. It's got like a fairly heavy riff, and like it's probably the closest thing to an actual punk song that they did. Right. So check it out. It's double exposure for television. Oh yeah, it's a really uh, obscure video. Let's check this out. Get bold with your, your complication. I hard to make differentiation. You speak hard with funny connotation. Man, I just can't make translation. I look at you. When I look at you, I get a double exposure. It's funny, that one sounds like like the New York Dolls song. Like You listen to it and it sounds punk. It sounds very punk. This one almost sounds kind of like 60s rock. Yeah, well, thing. like I said, te- television wasn't really musically a punk band. If you, mm-hmm. actually, if you listen to their, their first full-length album, it's actually, it's not bad, but it's definitely not... It's it's definitely a different vein than, than a lot of what we consider punk. It's it's a lot more, yeah. like I said, more like technical and like kind of experimental sounding. It's it's kind of different. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's good. They're, they're good. I, though. I like good. it. Yeah, they're a good band though. Uh, all right, next song. Is, uh, yeah, all right. Song three. We're we're gonna do a song called "Beat on the Brat" by the Ramones. Okay. I don't know if you heard this one. So it's Might super have. simple musically and lyrically, but to me catchy at the same time. I like a lot of the Ramones stuff, and there's something about Joey's voice in the song that I just really love, and. Uh, as usual with the Ramones songs, it's really short, no solos, but uh, pretty classic. And honestly, a close second here would be I Want to Sniff Some Glue, which is actually a song from their first album. <laughs> actually, I have this here. It's called Now I Want to Sniff Some Glue. Thank you very much. Make oh, sure you Now get, I Want to Sniff Glue. Yeah, yeah, sorry. You got to get the right yeah. time yeah, yeah. there. It's not later. It's not before. No, no, like, it's right, right now. Right yeah. freaking now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Beat on the Brat, Ramones. Check this out. What can you do? <laughs> you're saying it's like beat on the brat with a baseball bat oh yes. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah get right to the point with it <laughs> hey the ramones don't mince words man <laughs> no they, they say what they yeah. mean they want to blitzkrieg bop they blitzkrieg bop yeah like honestly i was going to use blitzkrieg bop as the song because it's the first song in their first album but it's just mm-hmm. so well known like i just wanted to put something on that somebody might not have heard you know yeah like everyone's but, heard blitzkrieg bop yeah yeah exactly all right, the next song is it's called Baby Talk by Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers. 
Okay. And uh, the Heartbreakers had this great 50s rhythm and blues flavored kind of rockabilly punk style, which I really liked. And uh, Thunder's a, he's a pretty damn good guitarist, and this entire album is actually worth listening to uh, now that they've got a, a better uh, engineered version of it. Mm-hmm. It's so, been kind of uh, remastered? Yeah, it, it, I think it sounds better than it did originally because it sounded like they had a lot of trouble with it initially. But Oh, and I just wanted to say that Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers was their band name slightly before Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Just, oh, uh, you know what? I didn't even make that connection. <laughs> yeah, I was. If somebody does though. They were the first. The Heartbreakers. I didn't even. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. You yeah. know, I'm not. I'm not the biggest fan of Tom Petty, so good. Glad they got. The, the hell you say? I love Tom Petty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. As a person, I don't dislike him. It's just like not. Not the biggest fan. This oh, man, is I, introduce here I think you probably just haven't heard enough of stuff that's not on the radio. Yeah, that's um, true. Like I, I listened to just the hits and like, ah, whatever. All right, God uh, damn it! Listen to Baby Talk. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Baby Baby Talk. Johnny Thunders and the and the Heartbreakers. That one's very that one's very punk. This is what I expected the the sound to be like. I like it. Yeah, yeah. This is one of my favorite bands from this uh, from this list. They uh, that album that like a motherfucker album. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's actually really good. Yeah, no, I, I enjoy that. It's like very very straight to the point. Like we're just yeah. gonna be angry and scream for a bit. But you can but but you kind of even though it's like <laughs> aggressive and fast and it's also got that create like that weird uh r&b feeling to it right like that 50s yeah. style kind of it's it, but it's yeah. but it's mixed in it's like 50s rock sped up and like heavier you know it's yeah because you can be like angry doing music and be more experimental where it doesn't really have a structure but uh yeah. it does still sound like music if that, if that makes sense what do they call that kind of jazz where they just play it's like <laughs> oh i don't know where it's like the, the like notes free, are free jazz or whatever <laughs> yeah i don't i think it's a joke from the office where it's like i hate jazz just play the right notes <laughs> Um, okay, the next song we're doing here is called yep. Blank Generation by Richard Hell and the Voidoids. Okay. So to this song, to me, the music and the lyrics are kind of a, an epitome of that scene, like instrumentally loose and raw, but with a fairly catchy bass line. The, the, the lyrics are pretty angsty and bleak. So it, to me, like this just sounds like a mid-70s New York punk song. So right. Give it a okay. try. Cool, yeah, Blank Generation, Richard Hell and the Voidoids. Triangles were falling at the window at the doctor cursed He was a cartoon long forsaken by the public eye The nurse suggested her daughter that I breathe my first The doctor grabbed my throat and yelled, guys, it's a late surprise I belong to the blank generation and I can take it or leave it each time Well, I belong to the generation but I can take it or leave it each time Take it! So is the one I listened to, uh, it says it's the 2017 remaster, and I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but it, I, sounds, really, it sounds really well produced. Yeah, like it, it'll... The ones, the versions that I find are, are fairly well produced, too. It's hard to find, like, an old, unless you find mm-hmm. a, a live version. Yeah, the punk songs are can be very, uh, like, they're, they're angry and they're raw, but, like, this one is, it's very technically well done. Yeah, yeah, no, this is one of the... F- not a huge Richard Hell and the Voidoids fan, but that song is pretty solid. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, the next song we're going to do is a song called Pumping by Patti Smith. Okay. So a lot of Patti Smith's stuff to me, like I was saying before, is pretty much just her poetry with music added on. And uh, although she's like really iconic and, and uh, very well known from that scene, she's not really heavy for the most part musically. Okay. Uh, but this song is actually a relatively fast, heavy, guitar-driven song. And uh, she's got pretty aggressive vocals in it. And uh, I mean, it's pumping. It's like talking about your heart pumping. Like it's kind of gets, it's a pretty good energy song. Uh, right. My personal favorite Patti Smith song is a song called Free Money, which is off her first album, Horses. But it wasn't heavy enough to put on this list. So I'll put that out there if someone wants to check that out. But uh, yeah, pumping is the song we're going to go with here. Okay, cool. Uh, pumping, Patti Smith. Yeah, you're right. It fits right in there. Yeah, I mean, I try to make the the workout playlist somewhat energetic <laughs> Co- and, and cohesive. Heavy, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. I like it. But then we're gonna go from that to uh, Cycle Killer by the Talking Heads because it's the only oh, song hey. that I can pick from there. Yeah, I don't know if uh, <laughs> Once in a Lifetime I don't know would fit in there at all. Probably the most recognizable mainstream rock track on this list. But yeah. uh, they they the band played did play this song early on when they were playing the CBGBs. And, okay. Uh, like I said, although although not a punk band, they're a great band with a really unique sound, and they came up in that scene. All right, so, so we'll give it a listen. This one I am familiar with. I mean, it's Psycho Killer. I know what it sounds like. It's yeah, a good song. you know it. You could, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can hear it in your head. Yeah. All right, next song? Cool. Uh, yeah, next oh, song is... yeah, okay. I thought that was eight. Okay, one more song. No, <laughs> right? no there's, there's, there's three more songs. Oh, there's three more songs. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have to edit this very heavily. <laughs> this song is called Detroit 442 by Blondie. So this song is definitely Blondie's heavier, more punk side, which doesn't come out probably that often. But uh, it's fairly fast, pretty heavy riff and drums. Uh, relatively speaking, of course, this is Blondie. Uh, Debbie Harry's voice has come, has got uh, got some real edge to it. The the song name is from an Oldsmobile muscle car, and it's also said that this song may have been about Iggy Pop, whose real name is actually Jim Osterberg, and a guy named Jimmy O is mentioned in the song. Huh, so another another honorable mention for a Blondie song that I would also recommend is a song called "Hanging on the Telephone," mm-hmm. which is also a fairly punky song that Blondie made. So. Oh yeah. That's the one that's going on the playlist. Detroit 442. Okay. Yeah, it's about as punk as I can see Blondie going. It's good. It's like faster. I like it. Probably something you haven't heard before from from them, eh? Yeah, definitely. I haven't listened to a ton of Blondie, 
like kind of yeah. just the hits, but still, like it's uh, that's interesting. All right, next uh, we're gonna do a song by the Dictators, "Faster and Louder." I talked about okay. it before. So this is the first album <clears throat> in which Handsome Dick Manitoba actually performed all the vocals. It's a uh, it's a great opening track, definitely "Faster and Louder," like the name suits the song. Uh, it's got a nice little solo from Ross the Boss. You know, they're one of the more musically tight bands on the on the list. They sound really professional and, and good, but they're like right. they're they're still definitely from that punk scene and they're they're pretty mm -hmm. heavy, so give it a try. All right. Faster and louder the dictators. I can talk faster and louder. Oh yeah, definitely. Because there's that that solo in there later that uh, it is not <laughs> something that the other songs really have. It's like, oh, yeah. oh, what the hell? Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, it's really Ross fast and heavy. Ross the boss was like a, a legitimate heavy metal guitarist. Like he he could he could shred, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay, last song. Finally. Okay. Sorry. Cool. <laughs> no, no, it's uh, okay. <laughs> I guess so, like we said before, they're all like two minute songs, so it all comes out to the same. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so the last song we're going to do is uh, Sonic Reducer by the Dead Boys. It might be the Dead Boys' most well-known song. But uh, Dead Boys were definitely a punk band. Uh, they played punk. They lived like it, man. Like they, uh, but this song, it got kind of an evil-sounding opening guitar. Uh, I thought it was actually a bass, but then I watched the live video, and it was actually a guitar. Or maybe it was just okay. in the live version. But uh, yeah. And then Stiv Batter, the vocalist, he's got these like scathing, angry vocals, and he's... I, I don't know, man. It's a pretty great shredding from guitarist Cheetah Chrome. Uh, I I definitely recommend checking out the live version of this from 1977 on YouTube as well from CBGBs. Okay, so, cool. Uh, so okay, I'm gonna listen to the recorded one. But um, yeah, I listen to the recorded one. But yeah. give the uh, I recommend to the listeners to check out the video after. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, Sonic Reducer, Dead Boys. I think the song was in a Tony Hawk Pro Skater game. It's very I recognize likely. it. <laughs> I rec I recognize it. That's a that's a compliment. Those are very yeah. good games. Yeah. No, I really that honestly that might be my favorite song on the list. Yeah, that that and Faster and Louder are probably my two favorites. And mm -hmm. I, but I'm also I'm also a big fan of uh, the Heartbreakers stuff too. Yeah. But all right, that's it for the workout playlist, buddy. That's the that's the last song. Okay. Um, yeah. Cool. I guess that's I guess that's it. Is there any is there any news about the CBGB? I almost said heebie-jeebies. Because I guess you said it closed now or something. Yeah, it's been closed for about 15 years. Yeah. So, Actually, uh, I saw that. It popped up. It said it was like a Patagonia store. Oh, maybe it's changed again because it was it was uh, some kind of fashion designer's store. Pat, Patag yeah, I, I don't know. That might be an old article too. At some point yeah. they owned it. So it's definitely not like a music venue anymore. I want to I want to do a show covering uh, the the 80s hardcore stuff and like some other bands yeah. that came up in that scene later on. Uh, yeah. So we'll we'll talk more about the current stuff. Cool. Next time. All right. Yeah. Cool. Sounds sounds good. All right. That is gonna do it for this episode of the heavy. See the show notes uh, for a complete list of songs you heard in this episode. Went over a lot. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please tell a friend. 
and leave us a star rating. Our website is uh, www.theheavy.ca. You can email us at theheavypod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter uh, at theheavypod. Our show is edited by Ian Sutherland with Andrew doing all of our research. Our brother Rob designed our logo, and our theme is Stallions the Highway by Savage Blade. I'm your host, Don Sutherland, and this is actually our last episode of the season, so we will catch you again in a couple of months. Be sure to stay tuned to our social media to when we're going to be uh, launching again for season two. And thanks for listening. See you later. Hey, stole my line, Don. <laughs> Sorry, I started ad-libbing <laughs> I only have one word and you stole it. <laughs>